welcome, Legionaries, to episode 28 of LegionCast, Hobby Roundtable 12. I am your host, Warwick, and joining me this week is my brother, Maniple. Greetings, fellow Longbeards. Good to see everybody again for a Hobby Roundtable. And Longbeards, remember to trust in the strength of your arms. They won't let you down if you exercise. And joining us is our co-host, Paul. Back for another one. Thanks for having me on, guys. And no Brandon this week. He is far too busy for us, unfortunately, but that's all right. We've got a couple of segments to talk about. Maniple and I are going to go over a couple of battle reports from our gaming weekend called Clash of the Primarchs. We'll have a hobby news update talking about what's happening with the Mark III armors or what we expect is happening with them. We will also talk about a little Legion's Imperialis news. And we've got a Fulgrim's Quest talking about the difference between the multi-part plastic tactical kits and the new kind of monopose kits that we're getting these days. Yep, should have plenty of stuff to talk about and only three sections, but with one of our hosts down, that seems about right. So I've been out of the news a little bit. I just heard a few things here and there. What is happening with Epic or Legion's Imperialis, fellas? Well, they have been previewing quite a few models. We got the the new artillery pieces put out uh, they look pretty sweet. Uh, those are all for, um, uh, shoot, the, the Imperial Guard guys. So uh, they look pretty sweet. And they also previewed some some like kind of hint rules for how Titans are going to operate in Legion's Imperialis. Yeah, the Basilisks and Medusas look pretty good. Um, or at the very least on par with everything else they've shown so far. No preview on the rules yet, but I'm sure they'll be nasty. Yeah, I was happy to see some some more tanks coming out for this. I just wonder how much variety they can get with troops beyond what they've already released in the core box. Because you've got your line troops and assault marines, you've got some terminators and some command. Where else do you think they would need to go there? Maybe like a breacher squad or some kind of a veteran base? What do you think? Yeah, I can see that. It'll be interesting to see how they get that on the tabletop. I am wondering if they're going to do Legion-specific units like Garvorback and Jostarin and that kind of stuff. That would probably blow out the line quite a bit in terms of the options they'd have to make, but it would be really cool to see some uh, specialist units. I think at this scale, they would probably just have a generic specialist unit that you can paint up however you like or model how you like, but it's all going to be like probably plus one hit or plus one wound, something very simple. Cause at that scale, you're not going to get down to the nitty gritty of what each individual veteran squad does. They're just going to be better at killing stuff. Yeah. As far as the Titans in Legion Perialis, Paul, did you have much time to read into that article? What did you, what did you think of all that? Yeah, it's uh, looking pretty interesting. It does look like the profiles are completely different from Titanicus down to ranges and profiles and stuff. It does look like a lot of the weapon options that people are taking in Titanicus probably won't have the same level of play that you'll see in Imperialis. So hopefully you guys magnetized your arms because... uh, I did not. You're going to be wanting some anti-infantry and... From what? 
it looks like we won't have rules for maniples. It'll just be you'll have a couple of titans as a part of your army. You won't have an actual maniple with its own kind of mechanics to work with. Yeah, we were kind of talking about this a little earlier before. I've noticed in the rules so far, it's talked about like picking a faction and then dedicating 30% towards, you know, allies and the like. So it seems like running stuff like a warlord is going to be like taking a super heavy. It doesn't, at least so far with what they've shown us, they haven't had any sort of, here's how you run a Titan mana pool in the game. Well, I see that the warlord battle Titan is already 600 points all by himself. Yeah. And it's it's a detachment of one. Yeah. So that's going to work like one of your armies. So you take this instead of a whole Space Marine army. Yeah, basically. So we'll have to see how it plays out. I'm interested to see how knight banners are going to function in this, because they've, they've hinted about knights, but haven't really given us anything concrete there. And uh, I know Households and Titanicus are crazy. I have to wonder how they'll play in Imperialis. Well, and I think that they really sit in a really nice sweet spot in that game where they're not going to kill you on points. They're going to be mobile. They're going to be able to probably take or at least challenge the uh, a number of objectives. I think they got to really work hard to balance knights very properly in this in this style of game because they could dominate on, bo- on both ends of the spectrum. They can be a threat to the titans and they can destroy the troops. Yeah, I think that's going to be good. That's kind of the beef I had with them in Titanicus is that they really seem to kind of ignore a lot of the the rules that made the Titans so... uh, So they made Titans very vulnerable because a knight could move in a way that a, a Titan couldn't. So, man, I guess we'll have to see. I I would think that with kind of this preview that we've gotten, maybe that will change. So, uh, wait and see, I suppose. Was there anything in there about how the Titans move? Can they freely move back and forth, side to side? Or do we have to use our templates to get them going? Uh, I didn't see anything on movement. Uh, Warlords have a 5-inch move. The Dire Wolf has a Mm 7-inch. It does mention that, you know, weapons have facing again. So you'll have to, you know, consider the angles that you're positioning your guys, but it didn't mention anything specifically about templates. Yeah, I didn't see anything about movement. And there is a little uh, bump at the bottom that says uh, soon they're going to look at how flyers will work. So I'm looking forward to the um, next focus article on flyers. That should be fun. Yeah, that would be really neat. There was a rumor that the Mark III models are going away. Right. So, I've been seeing a lot of that blown up on social media, people talking about, uh, and the Mark III armor kits are not even on their website anymore. They're just gone. So we know, was it late last year, earlier this year, they did preview that their kind of um, roadmap, basically, and they said they were going to put out a new armor kit. We're kind of guessing that it's going to be the Mark III's, which I think the, the current Mark III set, held up fine. It's what I made my breachers out of. I thought it was a a really solid kit, even side by side the Mark VI kit that we have now. What do you guys think? Um, I'm going to save some of this discussion till our Fulgrim's Quest, but I think that there's a case made for both sides, that the the kit was fine, but I think they could do something something better with it. It felt like when I was putting them together that the scale was off so slight, very, ever so slightly. 
and maybe a little too small. When I, I think of those older marks of armor, I think of them as actually being bigger than the stuff we have now, more heavy plating, you know, bigger shoulder guards, a more aggressive stance. Even though the old pewter models were smaller, I think in the fluff they were supposed to be bigger and chunkier. I even vaguely remember when they were released with like the Burning of Prospero and the Kalth box, I almost felt like they were a little smaller than the 40k Marines at the time. And this was before Primaris even came out. It was almost like they tried to scale them back to what Space Marines were sized at in 5th edition. But yeah, I mean, they were great looking for the time. Yeah, I think as far as like parts, components, bits, whatever goes it was a very solid kit you got a ton of stuff in that box so as far as improving it basically what i hear i'm hearing is we just want bigger space marines right yeah i would say Longbeards. if you find a box at your local game store grab it because all those bits for conversions and the the helmets and the shoulder pads are all great for your water slide transfer transfers so uh, have make sure you have some in your bits box you'll miss them if you don't have them yeah it'll be interesting to see if they do uh, update the scale on them and then Mark IV as well. I do wonder if that means the Terminators are going to get something as well. It's going to be weird because Cataphracty come in the Age of Darkness box. So if they resize them, what are you going to do with all those? I think the size on the Cataphracty are good, if I'm being honest. I don't know that they need any upscale. Yeah, well, they kind of have the same thing the Mark III do, which is in the lore, they're described as being larger than the Indominus patterns. And they are, I think like my Abaddon is like a head shorter than like the current Terminator kits. He's pretty small for what he's supposed to be. That's why he's so angry. He has little man syndrome. (laughs) That must be it. With all that being said, I wonder if they want to scale that kit up specifically so the weapon upgrade kits we already have work for this uh the, the mark threes basically so you can buy like the the las cannon set or um, the plasma cannon set or even the support weapons and they'll all be uh they'll all work together basically well if, I, if i'm not mistaken all the forge world upgrade pick kits like those uh the the um stuff made out of resin is made for those third and fourth mark kits. So when they have now their main line is the six mark six plastic, they're probably have to go back and redo all that stuff for the, the, the forge world side as well. I do wonder if, if they'll come out with new upgrade kits for the arms, because technically the mark six arms don't look like the mark three and four arms. And, you know, GW's always been pretty nitpicky about, mix matching when it comes to how they produce and sell stuff. And I think in like the seventh and eighth edition armies, it was pretty common to see people of all different marks of, of armor. You might have legs that were Mark four, but you'd got Mark seven upper torso because they say, well, that's just how these, these Marines have been put their armor together over the last 10,000 years. But now with the Indominus crusade and all these guys coming out in the, in the Primaris armor, you're seeing a lot more uniformity in how those space marines look. You're losing that character as the firstborn or phased out. You're going to see all those mixed marks of armors disappear as well, unless they turn up in the veteran kit or the stern guard kit, something like that. Which I'm not sure if those units are even going to be relevant come like stern guards. I don't know that we're going to have stern guards anymore because 
how they phased out firstborn marines in 40k anyway. No, I think you'll see something like a stern guard unit for for Primaris, but it'll be the sort of thing where, well, because they're so similar in size now, if you want to, just like with the Terminator armor, a firstborn or a Primaris can fit inside. It's like the old debate about female and male space marines. Whenever that argument has come up in my circle, I've said, oh, well, the ones with helmets on are all female. You just They just look the same inside because it's armor, right? Oh, and right. Um, if you want to pretend that they're all females in there, yeah, go crazy. Who cares? Whatever. <laughs> uh, such a hot button topic these days. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah, it'll... I mean, this kind of bleeds into our monopose versus multi-kit discussion as right. well. Paul, why don't you tell us about your thoughts on the Sons of Horus upgrade kit? Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I know you guys talked about it a little bit in your last episode when I wasn't here. We had a reaction, um, live <laughs> <Yeah>. reaction. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, me and uh, Ridge were talking about it a little bit after. It's, I mean, it's nice to have. It seems like it's a little, it's too little, too late. It's clearly designed so that you can build like more characterful looking praetors and centurions and gives you a couple of unique options for sons of horse, but it doesn't give you enough to really arm any full squads. And it's, you know, they all look nice, but the thing I was telling Brandon is, you know, I built my 5,000 points of sons of horse a year ago. I already have three praetors and six centurions and all the named characters. I don't need this kit anymore. I needed this kit a year ago when I was building my champion with Karsoran power axe and, you know, Paragon blade. But now it's like, do I really want to buy this just so I can make more of the same characters I already have with slightly different weapons? It's, it's one of those things where I'm sure I'm going to get it as a Christmas gift from somebody and that'll be cool, but I'm never going to buy this myself. What would have been a good upgrade kit for you? Seeing you, you already built the army. Yeah. Would there have been anything? I think probably the Bane Strike Bolters and a block of 10 would have been better. Um, because you'll see that periodically with Seekers and Veterans. Not very often, but you do see them. I think the Power Tabars, it might have been better to get more of those. The Carsorn Power Axes are interesting. I've never really liked them. Anytime I've run them, they tended to underperform. But the power tab bars are the new Siege of Chthonia weapon, so I haven't really had too much time to play with them. The Umbra pattern bolters with the Sons of Horus icons on them seem like a big miss. I think you rather would have had four more of the Bane Strike bolters rather than four bolt guns that are almost identical to what you already have access to. Yeah. Uh, again, the reason those are there are um, so that you can build a couple of Praetors and Centurions, and if you don't want to pay the seven points for a Bane Strike Bolter on a Praetor, then just take the regular bolt gun. And here you go. Here's one with an Eye of Horus on it. The other thing I was going to mention real quick on it is the Karsoran Power Axes don't look anything like the Forge World ones. This is a complete redesign, um, which, you know, I guess it's matching with the whole Mark VI thing of they're just updating everything to look different. But yeah, it uh, looks very different from the old ones. I do think they look good, but like you said, they're they're not really something you need at this point. Oh, there was one other thing that they kind of throw in as sort of like a, a quick line. And if you're not paying attention to the kit, you won't catch it. But if you look at the hands, 
on a lot of these. There's one Bane Strike Bolter with a Terminator hand, and one of the Carsoran Power Axes is a Terminator hand for Cataphracty. So again, this kind of goes back into the it's for made made for characters. So you're getting four bolt guns, five Mark Six Bane Strike, one Terminator Bane Strike, two infantry Carsoran Power Axes, one Terminator Carsoran Power Axe, and one infantry Power Tabar. So it's like hmm. just a random mix of options for a wide variety of units and models. So again, it, it's for making characters. I guess it'll be great for, you know, a brand new player getting into it now so they can make some really unique looking models. But for anyone who's been playing, I, I just don't see any reason to get it. Yeah, fair enough. Well, it's good to have your two cents on the matter anyway. The resident Sons of Horus player weighs in. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the problem with... Because I was waiting and waiting and waiting for stuff for my Alpha Legion, and I ended up just buying stuff that was third party because after waiting for six months, I'm like, I got to have these guys. And I just think that GW was kind of late to the game on that stuff. And they used to have a, well, and they never followed it, but there was a policy that they would not release a rule for something unless they had a model for it in the, in the production line. And to have something as simple as not having like a plastic set of chain swords ready to go, just seems like a huge miss. And then just to say, okay, well, there's the Kersoran Power Axes or another thing, but I can there, there's probably 40 more unique upgrades that they need to release kits for, and it'll be five more years before those are all supported. Yeah, and, you know, don't get me wrong. As a Sons of Horse player, I like seeing more stuff released. But at the same time, I have noticed that, you know, Sons of Horse and Imperial Fists are kind of getting the limelight here. And you've got, you know, factions like Raven Guard who still don't have their named characters outside of their Primarch. Same with Iron Hands, Iron Warriors, and uh, there's somebody else. Yeah, there's a couple that, others. That, in like um, Iron Warriors and Iron Hands, I don't even think they have a Praetor model. So it's not just named characters. They don't even have a Praetor. Yeah. And, you know, again, it's... On the selfish side, I like having that stuff, but thinking about the community and the type of games I want to play, I want other people to have their cool stuff too, because I want to see it. And so it is just kind of weird to see this. It just feels like a swing and a miss. Well, anyway, I think that does it for our hobby update news. Manful, do we want to get into our battle reports, Clash of the Primarchs? Yeah, that'd be fine. Okay, well, uh, Manful and I had a pretty epic gaming weekend a couple weeks ago and we're just now getting our battle reports but we ran a couple of 3,000 point games and in our first match we went Primark v Primark. In the second game we went no Primarchs just to see how it would go and I actually have my army list pulled up. I'll give you the rundown on that and then Manable can give his and then we'll get into what scenario we played. So at 3,000 points I was running the Logos Lakatora Lakatora and I was running a Chaplain Centurion and a Master of Signal Centurion and Bobby G. I had four Apothecaries for my Elites. And then I also had a 10-man squad of Fulman Taurus Terminators, which if you know anything about them, big douche move to take 10. And I learned that on the battlefield. I also had 10 Invictaurus Scizorain in the Elite squad or in the Elite spot. Then for my troop choices, I had a 10-man assault squad, 
a 10-man breacher squad and two 10-man tactical squads. So I went big infantry heavy. And then in my heavy support uh, slot, I had a Land Raider Spartan. And the way that I ran all that was I had a apothecary with each ta- or with each of my troop squads. And then I put the Master of Signal with the Fulmentaris. And then Bobby G and the Suzerain were in the Spartan. And it ended up being a really bad matchup for Maniple. Uh, Maniple, why don't you give us your army list rundown? So I brought a Moritat and Exodus in my HQ slot. I had a, let's see, a two Contemptor Dreadnoughts. And one of them had a dual, a double dual Culverins. The other one was just a Gravis Power Fist and Gravis Bolt Cannon. And then I had a, a five-man squad of Lernians. And they took, I think their, their special weapon was the Conversion Beam Cannon because that's one that comes in the kit. But I would probably not take that again. Um, and I'll get into that later. I took two 10-man tactical squads. One was in a rhino, one was on foot. Then a tactical support squad with uh, five plasma guns. Um, five headhunters and five seekers. My fire raptor gunship with Hellstrike missiles. I took a Kratos with a few upgrades, but I don't think I took the, the, sh- the shield, the special shield with that. Well, I probably should have uh, Spartan, Naked, and Alpharius. And as as uh, Warwick is going to say, it, it was it didn't feel like an even matchup for a lot of ways. But do you want to? So I think getting into the scenario, I think it's going to be pretty obvious right out of the gate because our deployment scenario that we rolled was Hammer and Anvil, which is two 24 inch deployment zones with a 24 inch no man's land in the center, and then the scenario that we rolled was the Crucible of War, which deploys three objectives in that no man's land. And the way that they end up getting put out, because, you know, the player with uh, tactical advantage puts the first one down and then the second player puts one down and then the first player puts the third one down. And they end up all being in a line. So both armies starting at either end of the board just jump into the center. That, that being said, because Warwick got to put his out first, he could place two of them closer to his board edge. And I had only one on my board edge. And then he also got first turn. So he's able to jump on two objectives in the first round. It took me, because that no man's land is 24 inches. It took me three rounds just to get across the table. Because a lot of my army is foot slogging, uh, at least the ones that, that that mattered so So it was it was it was a tough matchup for me another big advantage on my end was the logos lets me do a full march uh as one of my you can pick the different aspects of of what kind of bonus you get and i got a movement bonus right off the bat so on on turn one i was on top of two objectives and then as soon as my reinforcements came in i deep struck my assault squad and tied up that third objective didn't i yeah, and I was able to take advantage of some of the Alpha Legion's ability to infiltrate Deep Strike, but all that I did was put my stuff in range of your guns, and a lot of my stuff was wiped out in the first round. So on the one hand, I wanted to Deep Strike so I could get closer to contest those objectives, but because it's only a limited number of units that get up there, 
I was just a wash and fire from from the first round. And uh, by the time it was, you know, even in the, I think by the end of the second round, I knew there was no way I could even earn enough points to to, to catch up. It was. I will say uh, you didn't make it easy on my end. I was pretty nervous about uh, you marching your dreadnoughts up because I had very little anti armor that could deal with that. That being said, the Fulmentaris with their plasma warheads can do quite a bit of damage to a dreadnought. I was really happy about that. The reverse of that is that. A 10-man squad of Fulmentaris Terminators, the way I had them outfitted, was 580 points. So if they had, you know, if they had taken a little more incoming fire, if a Dreadnought had gotten in on them, they would have been tied up really bad for the rest of the game. But the fact that they were in a position where they could shoot the entire game was a big advantage to me. And having the Master Signal with them to, to give them a bonus to their... Uh, ballistic skill was was a pretty great move. I don't think um, Bobby G and Alfarius never got into a duel in that game, did they? I think I ended up. No, I tried. No, I think I tried to be sneaky and get Alfarius deep striking in the back because you know he can he found a place where he could deep strike with his Lernians. But as soon as that happened, I think you peeled off a unit of was it your ten cataphracti or something and just annihilated them. No, um, that what happened? no, no, no. The, uh, your Alfarius lived that entire match. You're thinking of the second game. Okay. Right. Um, Alfarius lived that match, but Bobby G peeled off to go try and seize one of the other objectives. And you poured every single bit of shooting you had mm-hmm. into my Scizorain and Bobby G that round and wasted. Well, you didn't waste. You used all of your shooting that round to get them off the board but that just meant that all my troops and my uh, Fulmentaris could just do whatever they wanted. So it, it on right. one hand, you got a very powerful melee unit off the board, not just Bobby G, but the Scizorane as well. You got them off the board, but at the cost of not eliminating anything else. Well, that, that's the classic distraction Carnifex uh, run, is that you, you have a unit on the board that's not going to do anything, but you can't ignore it. And so you you have to kill it. And while you're doing that, the stuff that's actually winning the game is just over there having tea on an objective and getting you uh, points for the for the for the win. But if I had let Bobby G live, he'd have been in my line and just destroying whatever I had left. So so what were your thoughts? Uh, what was your takeaway with the Fire Raptor gunship? I know you had some commentary on that. I really want to make that work, and right now I'm putting, as we speak, putting together a land Legion Land Raider Proteus that's supposed to help with my reserve rolls. But as I'm looking at the points here, that um, Fire Raptor cost me 315 points, and it has on paper what looks like a lot of good guns, but it seems as though every time I'm shooting against your Space Marines or Terminators, I'm only killing one or two guys. Because as all the armor saves start rolling in, I don't have enough AP2 stuff on those gunships. Maybe against the Solar Auxilia or Mechanicus or something, maybe that makes a a bigger difference. But I think for that 315 points, I could have got three more tactical squads. Or doubled the size of the ones I have now and got another one. So that 300 points, I think, can be spent a lot more efficiently in other places. And the problem here is that if I bring this Proteus... To, just to make that work, I'm probably going to have to drop the Spartan, or the, uh, and then 
that's not a bad idea because I could probably drop this the drop the Spartan, bring a Proteus and a a tactical squad, and probably still be ahead of the game. So that's my thoughts on the and, and the flyers are too unpredictable. You just don't know when they're going to come in, and you have to make this huge investment of points to make it work. And even when it gets there, it's not that good because they can't hold an objective. They can't even contest an objective. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, flyers have always had that sort of an issue. Um, I mean, reserves in general have always been really hard to balance, it seems, and they never quite get it right, um, whether it's flyers or just deep strike in general. Uh, talking about having your deep strikers arrive in line of fire has been the bane of my existence with just Aaron this entire time, especially with how heavily GW seems to weigh shooting over close combat. Like, they've gotten to the point where they're so afraid of close combat that they gave shooting too many buffs. Um, I think in our game, when Abaddon arrived with the Justarian, you intercepted them with a 10 man squad of Culverins. And then I didn't shoot because I was scared of the return fire. And then you overwatched me on the charge. Right. So it's my like large thousand point unit arrives on the table, gets shot twice before it can even make it into combat. And do and I killed everyone in that squad except Abaddon before you got in on me. Yeah, it was it was a 10-man squad of Culverins, and Abaddon is, makes it in alone with two wounds on him, and then he wiped the squad. Yeah, but and still. then he proceeds to wipe the squad, and it yeah. had, that squad had two Centurions with him. I had the uh, Armistice, and I had the Master of Signal, and even though I had those two with them, you still liked them. Yeah, but I think even at the end of that, you came out on top on the points killed, if I recall. But I, I might have, but I do remember calling that game because you were breathing down my neck with like two or three more dreadnoughts, and I was like, there's nothing on the board that can do yeah, that. Yeah, the rest of the game was going badly, but yeah, just reserves have always been a problem, and it seems like a lot of the old holdover like vehicles, like the Fire Raptor, have kind of suffered the same problem as knights, which is they just can't get through space marine armor. And so it, they look great on paper. They look great on the table. They just don't do anything for you. What it really feels like it needs is when, when those, when those come on and do their first strafing run, they should be able to drop that big teardrop template on something or yeah. the big dinner plate on something, you know, say, okay, we're going to drop, you know, make that hell strike missile look like a, a freaking missile you know, and that it explodes and does something amazing. But I think it, I, I, sh I launched all four at something. I was trying to kill one of your tanks or dreadnought or something. And they all went pink, 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 one wound. Yeah. Th this reminds me a lot of when uh, Brandon first came to me and was like, heresy 2.0, we should do it. I was like, I don't know. And he's like, dude, it'll be great. It'll be like the old fifth edition days. And I was like, do you remember fifth edition? It was land Raiders and Laz cannons. If you don't take if you take anything else, you will lose. And this game definitely feels like it's gone that way in a lot of regards. It's a lot of Laz and Melta. It's a lot of Terminators and Dreadnoughts. You, you just can't run basic tack Marines and cool guns like autocannons because they're not going to do anything for you. Well, yeah, I think, and that showed up in our second game, I think, but we'll get to that. In, in this first game, I, I, I got it wrong. We didn't do two 3,000-point games. We did a 3,000-point game and a 2,000-point game. Anyway, in this first game, I was really nervous about your Kratos, and I thought I didn't have anything that would be able to, to touch it. Well, 
in my breacher squad, for every five guys, you can take a melta gun or a plasma gun or whatever. I took melta guns and I put a combi melta on my sergeant. And in, I think in the first round of shooting I got got in on it, I was out of range for armor bane, but I did end up doing a couple of hull points to it. And then the next round I was able to move up closer and got armor bane on the Kratos and was able to kill it. And I was really surprised that um, that a 10-man squad got that close to a Kratos in that amount of time. But I think if you had put the Kratos on the Terminators, on the Fulmentaris Terminators, you might have had better luck. But uh, again, then you would have been avoid or you would have been ignoring the big threat of the melted guns trying to come up the flank. Well, but even with your troops, it felt like I was trying to to douse them with heavy bolters and all the typical anti-troop stuff. And I just was not getting through the armor and your um, apothecaries were helping out. Now, to be fair, I've been trying to run apothecaries for the last year and someone keeps leaving all the bits at their house. Yeah, he does. He's a real idiot. Yeah. I wonder who um, that could be. Yeah. Who, who could that be? Well, um, my apothecaries barely paid for themselves because I remember whiffing 90% of my feel no pain rolls. And I was, I was pulling a brand and just going, these are effing useless. I don't know why I take them. And that's his response when anything doesn't work out for well, him. On but, my uh, end though, when you do make those rolls, it is the most frustrating thing oh, in the world. Absolutely. Because... And, and the same thing happens to me when Brandon runs them. So I, I know how you feel. Yeah. Cause I had to hit and wound and then you had to make an arm, but then you get to make an armor save and a feel no pain. And is that on a five or a six for the apothecary? Five and six. Five and six, yeah. That's a pretty powerful save. And then if you have any, any other shenanigans going on, it's just like I worked so hard to get those two wounds and you saved one of them. And that's the, and, but over the course of a game, that those one or two wounds is all it takes. As we see when you have that one guy with the melted gun who is able to walk through all the fire and, and the, the one, like, what's the space marine cost? 15 points, 10 points, pops like that. a 300, 300 point yeah. tank. Yeah, that's, that's painful. Yeah, and the the fact that the breachers were getting an involved save against all your big guns probably didn't help you at all either. Yeah, that's definitely one of the next units I'm making are breachers because that that save is so good. They're they're expensive uh, by comparison, but they're worth it in my opinion. At least one squad anyway. And I was running a a thunder hammer on my sergeant because I was scared. Again, I was worried about getting in, in with the dreadnoughts, so I ended up getting that sergeant in on one of your dreadnoughts later on, I think I only did like, I got one or two solid hits on him and he made every single one of your saves on it. So 15, I think it's like 15 or 20 points for a thunder hammer on the sergeant and it didn't really make a difference. Mm -hmm. So when let's, let's go back to the top a little bit. So when you were, when you're deploying with your armies, like what is your strategy? And and, uh, Paul, you can talk about this too. Like, what are you thinking when you're deploying those guys? I like to, it's really frustrating when you're first player because you don't know where your opponent is going to be. So you don't know if you're going to have a counter unit in the right spot. So if I'm deploying first, which I was, I want to try and make sure that I have like a clear runway to get my scoring unit to an objective. And that's, it seems pretty obvious or um, even like my, my death star of the scissoring in the Spartan you want to make sure that it has clear line of sight towards where like another vehicle or another elite unit is going to be, because that's what they're going to be there to deal with. 
Yeah, with mine, it, it's a little unique with Sons of Horus because the Black Reaving and like the Inducti have so many stipulations on who needs to be next to them and what needs to be happening for their bonuses to go off that I have to be thinking ahead uh, towards like what units are going to be grouped together in what sections of the map and what are they going to be prioritizing as targets. I also have to think a lot about when the Jostaran arrive from Deep Strike, where do I want them to be and where are the support units for their Black Reaving charge going to be when that happens? It's honestly been one of the biggest problems with the army is like, Brandon's really good at screening me because he knows how the army functions. And so there'll be a lot of times where it's like, all right, Abaddon rolls his deployment role and you've screened me out of anywhere that I need to be. So they're going to drop on this side of the map where, you know, they're alone. So they're not going to get their black reaving charge and they also don't get the targets they want. Um, so it's a lot of trying to think three steps ahead and plan units to be where they need to be, which is pretty tricky, but I'm getting better at it. Yeah, I used to actually draw a little map of the board once it was laid out and then try to put in some notes to myself as to where stuff should go. And I've had that problem with the deep striking where I'll think, okay, in round two, I'm going to try to get them here. But inevitably, it's always too close or too far away. And I end up deploying them where I would have deployed them in the first place anyway. But now they're six inches behind where they might have been if I deployed yeah. them in round one. And that's even so, without scatter. <laughs> yeah. Because that nine inch exclusion zone is, is I think it's, it's, it's so punishing. Yeah. Um, so then the next, the next piece we talked about is the importance of having enough line troops and those scoring units. I think that's where I found myself getting shorted. Right. Whereas I think I only had about three, maybe four units that could, that could score. I think you and had they were just three. Getting wiped. I had, yeah, two troops in the and the um, terminators. Maybe? They have line, but those units were just so they felt so fragile with all the fire on the board. Man, I really need to start bringing my tactical squads and units of twenty and doing. I think getting my assault marines in that game might have been better because then I could have screened them in some cover, then jumped in. Yeah, um, that's and that's a hard lesson that I learned. Well, it's weird. I took I in this game I took nothing. Think the only things that didn't have line were the Land Raider and the Fomentaris. Uh, Scissoring have line, and then all four of the choices that I took had line. And with an Apothecary with all of them, again, like Maniple said, it makes them so frustratingly durable that, you know, when you're just waiting through Bolter Fire, chances are with your armor saved and that, you're going to be fine. So the, the only thing I had to worry about was... Uh, what was your other dreadnought running? Not the dual culverins. What was the other one running? I have a last cannon. That was just the bolt cannon, the standard. Yeah. Um, so you didn't with your even with your dreadnoughts, you didn't have anything that was strength eight because it anything that doubles toughness, I'm not getting that field mm -hmm. of pain. And chances are, I'm not getting an armor save. Yeah, it seems like this army has very little eight. I think I, I splashed in a few last cannons here and there, but not not a, a large number of them. The plasma guns were good, but um, they're those guys kill themselves so so easily. It just feels like a gamble whenever I take those guys. Um, to talk a little bit about, you kept mentioning something while we played about having a delete button. What were the units you were bringing that were the, the delete button? So the Invictor Scissorane are weapon skill five, 
and they each get like three attacks. I was running three, or sorry, I was running five Legatine Axes and five Thunder Hammers. And the Legatine Axes are not unwieldy. They're just, they're regular, uh, they're uh, the regular initiative value. And so when they get in, they can hit like a bus and chances are they're going to be making their attack rolls because they're uh, generally a higher weapon skill than other stuff. Which, what, what's the weapon skill on your Lurnians? Do you remember? It's a five, but they're striking last because their weapons are unwieldy. Right. So I'm I'm hitting you quite a few times before... I know we, that the Lurnians didn't fight the Scissorine this time. We have in the past. Or no, we haven't. We haven't in the past because I haven't taken them against you before, before this time. Anyway, uh, I got them in on one of your basic... Uh, a tactical squads and just wiped them. And I don't even think the Thunder Hammers needed to hit at that point because right. Bobby G hit and then the uh, axes hit and that was it for that squad. They were done. Well, and what we found out later on was that because they all have the character keyword, they can all take a wound before you have to take a model away. So you're able to spread those wounds out and then come around. Whereas I really needed some strength eight weapons in there to take them out one at a time because you, you could potentially have a full squad even after taking 10 wounds correct and, and they can also, also they can also accept challenges so even if you put alfarius in on that squad and says kill him and i challenge you to a duel i can just throw a scissoring at you and alfarius wastes all his attacks on one guy and then what about the fulmentaris so the fulmentaris are cataphracty terminators with the big missile racks on their back and they can either do splinter missiles, which are like a, a heavy four, I believe, or plasma warheads, which are, I think they're strength, strength seven or eight, AP four, but they're breaching four, or AP, yeah, AP four, breaching four. So they're wounding space rings on a two up, and then, you know, they're, they're going to be breaching and fishing for fours. They can breach on the wound and just ignore armor. And then what I found out in the game is that they can shoot their missile racks and their uh, twin link bolters at the same time, but they tend to not need their bolters because when you put 10 plasma warheads on a squad, there's not a lot left that there's not going to be a lot left to shoot after that. Right. And when you were, were doing that and rolling these buckets of dice... I'm fiercely flipping through my book to figure out, do I have anything that's like this? Do I have anything that rolls 40 dice? Um, do I have anything like, and I just, I'm looking for my delete button units and I'm just not finding it. And that, that part for me, for me was pretty frustrating. I thought it seems like that should be like limit one in the squad, but you're bringing all 10. I, thought, I man, that was unbelievable. I will admit that taking the 10 man squad felt really shitty because they they were they ended up being so mean on the board that it definitely didn't feel like a fair game. Uh, even being the the victor, it didn't feel fair, you know. Yeah, and I'm I'm all for bring whatever's in the book. If it's a legal model, bring it in because I, I want to figure it out. But I think that the other armies should have something that's that's similar. And maybe I do. I just don't know the game well enough. But man, that that was brutal yeah it's it kind of goes back to the thing i was talking about which is gw is so terrified of melee that they gave shooting a little bit too much juice to counteract it and the full mentors are not in the core book they're in the they're the one of the legacy units yeah. and i was wrong about the the hellfire plasma missiles are strength eight ap2 brutal two 
So uh, they don't even need to roll for breaching. They're just ignoring space. They're ignoring Terminator armor as well. And then I think I shot the splinter missiles at you once, and they're a heavy four breaching six pinning. So they're both very nasty. And like I said, they have um, a fire protocol that allows them to fire an additional weapon, but I never needed to just because um, even firing on, I think I fired on one of your dreadnoughts and blew it up, didn't I? Uh, yeah, it was. It's like you said, that's why you were kept saying delete button because whatever you pointed at, it was just gone. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, I'm, but but then I'm thinking like, okay, well, I've got Exodus, which is the most feared sniper in the in the in the world, in the universe, and I'm taking out one guy per round, and he's getting killed in your second in your second round. So which means I've killed one guy with Exodus, and that and then he's he, because he's it's, he's another one of those distraction units that you can't ignore. So you just turn unit X, whatever it is, to Exodus, and okay, I've got my shrouded. I've got a couple of saves, but he's only got three wounds or whatever he has, and you know, a, a big squad of uh, space marines can take him out. Uh, let's see. So we talked about delete button, and then you talked about rushing objectives. So having some move shenanigans to get up anywhere in your army, if you've got something that gives you an extra move or extra march, use that. Get on the objectives in the first round. And the other piece I was going to ask about is your vehicle upgrades. When you guys are buying vehicles, do you always get the HK missile and the spotlight and the extra bolter and all that stuff? Like, how do you how do you do that? I generally only take the flare shield, like on my Kratos and on my Spartan. I always take the flare shield, and then if I can work in twenty points on either one of them, I will take a Pintle multi melta. Those are generally the only upgrades I take. To be honest, Sons of Horus lists are so limited on vehicles that i i tend to not take vehicles it's a lot of infantry and a lot of dreadnoughts for me if i do take vehicles i tend to take anything that'll keep them survivable i don't necessarily upgrade the guns because tanks pop so easily um you know like i've run the spartan a few times and i think the first couple i gave it the extra las cannon and a pintle mount and brandon blew it up turn one like three games in a row and it was like well that was you know like an extra 75 points on top of the 400 points i've already put into this thing that were just gone and didn't do anything so it was like all right we're just gonna take these things vanilla and just put those points into something that might live a little longer yeah, and I would take the HK missile if I knew I was going up against somebody with a lot of transports, because that's the best thing for popping a rhino or something like that. Uh, just to make, you know, fish for that immobilized result. Uh, and that's worth probably the five points. And then if you know somebody's going to be doing night fight all the time, the spotlight's not bad. But then you kind of get into that that guessing match. Is he going to go for just night fight? Am I going to waste five points? And that could be something else. So in the in the second game... Uh, we did. We dropped a thousand points, so that meant I didn't bring Alpharius, I didn't bring my flyer, and I think I dropped my uh, Spartan. But I was able to squeeze in a Sun Killer squad using the rewards rewards of treachery rule. So I had um, uh, four or five Sun Sun Killers with last cannons. Otherwise, the rest of the army was about the same. What did you change up, work? So I changed up quite a bit. I took a uh, Chaplain Centurion and a Champion Centurion and a Vigilator Centurion. Then I took a Contemptor Dreadnought and five Scizorain. I took a 10-man Breacher Squad, a 10-man Tactical Squad, and a 10-man Tactical Support Squad, and a Leviathan Dreadnought. 
So I didn't take any dreadnoughts and only one tank last game. This time, no tanks and two dreadnoughts. Yeah, and I was down to one dreadnought and I took a a Praetor. Sorry, the the Scizorane did have, they did take a Land Raider uh, Proteus as their dedicated transport. And I had the Chaplain and the Champion in the Proteus with the Scizorane. So this game, I thought I got my deployment slightly better. In this case, I had some of my deep striking units a lot closer to an objective because we had the objectives a little more spread out. And so my saboteur and my uh, seeker squad were sitting near that, and the seekers were doing a little better sniping this this round. Although, did, did you take a, that big squad of plasma guys again? No, I didn't take the full Mentaris this time. No, the guys, your support squad with plasma guns. Yes, the, the, the support squad had uh, 10 plasma guns. Yeah. And they're the ones that wiped out my uh, Exodus uh, in your second round of shooting. I think he lasted more than two rounds because uh, in turn one, you uh, you infiltrated him in behind my my lines next to my Proteus. So I before the Proteus moved, I disembarked my chaplain there and tried to oh, right. assault uh, Exodus, but Exodus just turned around and overwatched him. Yeah, that was that was probably the only satisfying part of that game. With the Overwatch it, on the chapter. that was really funny. Yeah. Uh, just in on my end, I thought that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, in this one too, I think this was where you your dreadnought did the slow march all the way up into my Kratos before you and I was pouring everything I could into that dreadnought, couldn't take it down, and you just and you didn't even have like the big multi melta cannon. You just had the underslung yeah, melta gun. But I think it was no, the Melt Meltagun that got Yeah, it. I had both. I had the uh, Cyclonic Meltalance and I had the regular Meltagun, but the Meltalance whiffed its roll, and then the regular Meltagun ended up killing the Kratos, I think. And I think this was another one on, on points where I think you got ahead on points early on. And it, they, I wish there was a better catch-up mechanic where, like, in the last round, all the objectives are worth double or something like that because it's so easy to do the math in round two. And if your opponent is ahead and you've lost your line units, there's no way you can get ahead. Your only option is to wipe wipe the opponent, but that never happens because these games are so, are so short. Yeah, I've noticed that uh, the leverage point in Heresy seems to be pretty quick and pretty early, where you can tell probably like top of turn three who's got it. You can kind of play it out for another turn because they can change, but usually, definitely by turn four, you know who's won. Yeah, and then on even on secondaries, I knew I couldn't get my secondaries, and by the end of round one, it was no pop, no, not happening. I will say this game felt a lot closer for me. I know I had that twenty man tactical squad of mine in my back line, and you had your saboteur contesting one of the objectives. I couldn't cap it because your saboteur was there. And I couldn't shoot at the saboteur until he shoots, but he never shot. And I kept telling myself, it's like, ah, next round, he's going to shoot me. He's just going to shoot me. Well, you had no reason to because I was just sitting there. I was shooting your veterans, and I, I ended up killing all of them, I think. But I should have just charged that saboteur and because you can charge him. You just can't shoot him. Uh, I should have just charged him and gotten him off that objective, but I kept telling myself that, oh, he'll just shoot next round. And it was just a stupid thing that I did, but because of that, you kept me off the objective for the entire game. Yeah, it's funny how your mind can play tricks on you in those games where you, you know something isn't true, but you're you're doing it anyway. 
And I caught myself doing that a few times. Like I still, in my mind, when I deploy my tanks, I'm thinking about putting them hold down because hold down was like a third, fourth edition thing and made them a lot less vulnerable to shooting, which we still have cover, but it's not the same as, as it used to be. And I, I, get, I get, get myself caught in all those old traps of remembering a rule wrong and thinking, even though I've played this game a bunch of times now, I am still get stuck in these old rules that my mind plays tricks on me and it bites me. Yeah, I get that a lot playing with up here because we rotate through games so often and so quickly that I'll be sitting here, you know, all right, I roll my Spartan up. I'm going to use a mic point. Wait a minute. That's Middle Earth. Wrong game. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, and even between Heresy and Titanicus, that can be somewhat similar. Um, I remember the next morning, like it was the day I was leaving in Manipal, you were like, well, we're going to play a game of Titanicus while you're here. I just thought to myself, I cannot remember how the Titanicus rules are. And I don't want to be arguing with you all morning on how stuff works. So I think we ended up doing something different. It just, they're, they're both fairly simple games in my mind, but just, remembering just switching back and forth can can really yeah because when, when you were planning to come here i thought oh that'll be great we can play both games but then when it came down to actually have to, to switch gears in my mind to the other game it's like i don't have the mental energy to do it right now and to to be fair you and i were starting to get very distracted with another hobby which is Baldur's gate because Baldur's Gate had just come out and you were like, you know, if you if you download the game, we can do a multiplayer. And I was like, we can do a multiplayer. So um, other hobbies can distract you from from what is important. But uh, that being said, we, we had a pretty good gaming weekend. We only got a couple of games in and I'm pushing myself to getting over to your place maybe once a month or so so that we can do that more often. I just okay, So has Alpha Legion had a win against the Ultramarines yet? I can't remember. I think you had one. Uh, it would have been a couple of visits ago. I think you had a victory on me. Right. I don't, I don't quite remember, but um, you know, even if you hadn't, haven't had a solid win, I'm going to tell you, you have not made it the victories that I've won easy. I felt like you've kind of had me on the ropes up until the very end each time. All right. Well, I look forward to our next games. And I think, aren't you heading down to see uh, Ridge and Paul here pretty soon? I'm going to be going to the Dallas area in early October. So I'll be down there. I'll get a couple of games in with both those guys. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it'll be fun. I got to defend my uh, title undefeated against Ultramarines. One game. (laughs) Yeah, one game. Um, I, I'm confident that you'll do it. Um, I'll try to keep my wits about me this time and maybe not get totally shithoused while we're playing. What do you guys want to take a quick break here and then come back for Fulgrim's Quest? That's a great idea. We'll see you folks soon. everyone we're going to be getting to our fulgrim's quest talking about the difference between the multi-part kits and monopose models the it's a kind of a difference between what we're getting currently and what we've gotten in the past and that that really shines in the difference between the mark three kits and the mark six kits so maniple's got some thoughts on that what do you think well 
it's interesting. In the old days, the guys used to just sculpt a single model out of green stuff, make a mold, and it had it was a two part mold, so you were limited on your a number of poses you could do. If you wanted a more dynamic pose, you'd have to sculpt the arms, the legs, the weapons separately, and then you could get slightly more dynamic. But a lot of the old pewter models were just guys standing in profile with their arms down or maybe a gun up in the air, that sort of thing. Pretty simple. Uh, there's a s- soft spot in my heart for those old models because that's the stuff I had originally when I was young. But then as the technology increased, we began to see more of the multi-part plastic kits And the funny thing is, I think we talked about this with our discussion of Epic, was that the plastic versions came out before the pewter versions of some of those tanks. But for most of us, our understanding is that we bought a pewter model originally, or white metal, whatever they called it. Then we got the plastic upgrade kit that was really basic. And then you got the multi-part plastic kit where you could do a whole bunch of conversions and swap stuff back and forth. But I think in a way, the modelers were still going off that old mindset of the models in profile. And if you look at those, I think in particularly of the Space Marine kits that are pretty classic, most of the legs and arms were just slight variations of each other. They're standing at attention, maybe moving forward a little bit, but not much um, motion to it. But because those arms and legs were pretty standard, the modeler could do a lot with that, with some green stuff and some cutting you could make your own model. It was like having a blank slate you could work off of. And because there was the multi-part nature of those kits, you could also take different kits. Like if you wanted Marines in an action pose, you might buy the assault Marine kit and use those legs because they were in a jumping pose or a running pose. And then you'd put those on your regular space Marines and look like they were doing something more interesting. Um, so when I talk about the aesthetics of those early models, it seems like if you're working in those multi-part plastic kits or the old pewter ones, they're all kind of going off the same design aesthetic. Would you guys agree with that, or am I off base on that? I think you're right. Yeah, definitely. Well, and even the plastic, the molds they made were still two-part injection molded. And even like the really old ones were still hand-carved in the same way that the pewter ones were made. Um, it wasn't until later that they started to change that. Are there any favorite kits you guys had from your days of modeling? Like, I, I think in particular of Mordheim, when the new Empire models came out, and the the there's a, a group of like the archers or the huntsmen or something, and then there was the great swords all in plastic. You could do almost every Mordheim band with those, and I really loved collecting the different bits of the empire line to make Mordheim bands out of because they were all um, interchangeable. Yeah, you got a lot of options in those. I remember the blanket on what they were called. It was like the mercenary box where it was a bunch of like random guys and jackets and cloaks and they came with like 20 different like hand weapon options and a couple of ranged weapons. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great box for Mordheim. I think I am I'm also gonna go old world and I'm gonna say Beastmen Bestigors because they looked awesome and they had the when I first got into fantasy they had just a really good kit that went with them. And I think I went all great weapons online and they looked so freaking cool. And they you know, they were they were very they they had plenty of options. You could do a ton of different stuff with them. They looked great. 
And then for me, it was the 40K Orcs because uh, you could do a lot with those. And then they turned into different kind of mutant cultists and they turned into stuff for even other games. I mean, you could do a lot with and you could mix and match the Warhammer Orcs and the 40K Orcs because they were, they were similar. I think I made some of my 40K snake bites out of an old Warhammer kit. However, this began to reveal some of the little limitations with those kits because you never want to look too closely at the shoulders. Because if you made an interesting pose with the shoulders, you could very clearly see where the glue line was. There wasn't that seamless cover over. And the way they got around that with the Space Marines was you could put a shoulder pad on it. And so a lot of guys were doing things to make sure that they had filed down that shoulder gap. They used green stuff. Or they'd cover it with an epaulette or something else in order to, to cover that. And likewise, guys could easily get things wrong. If you pointed your head one way, but your gun was pointing the other, other way, you'd look like you were backwards. So you did have to pay, pay attention to putting the weapons and the gear on first and then doing the head last, pointing in the correct direction. So I had a few where I put the head on first, then mounted the gun realized, oh no, it's he's not looking where the gun is pointing. So there were some flaws. What were some of the flaws you guys remember from those kits? I want to say the Space Marine, like Rhino and Vindicator, they were on like the same chassis. They were so fiddly to put together. Like you could have all sorts of mess, like scrubs on those. Because um, you had to put like the the tread walls together first, or like the, the track walls together first. And if you didn't put them together just right, when you sandwiched the hull on the bottom and top over that, it'd be all wonky and cockeyed left and, and all messed up. You had to be super careful putting those together. Yeah, and a lot of that comes back to the fact that they were all hand-carved and then broken up into sprues, so they were never going to be quite perfect in their fit. And then also, as time goes on, the longer you use a mold, the more it breaks down, and so you'll start to get um, additional... Uh, inefficiencies introduced but so we were talking about those uh, those mark three and mark four kits that i I put together quite a few of them and i like the ability for them to mix and match but i but i do run into those problems still that i've I've dealt with ever since i've put together plastic models is that if you don't get the right set of arms together the gun doesn't sit properly on the front hand and i've spent countless hours trying to get that gun to sit just right and fiddling, using the glue as it's setting to get it just so. And that can be one of the most frustrating things of any modeler. And it's made me quit putting stuff together before for weeks at a time. Yeah, and that's not even something they've really solved with the monopose. I found that out the other day because Brandon gave me a bunch of melta guns from the upgrade sprue. But he just we just clipped them off the sprue and I took them home in a baggie without realizing that they are tied to a certain pair of arms. And so that turned into like 20 minutes of me putting arms on guys and dry fitting the gun to see if I had, I was like, oh, the left arm's the wrong one. I got to go try a different left arm <laughs> to get the right wrist mount. I did the same thing when I, I mailed the um, Volkite chargers. I had 10 Volkite chargers I mailed to Brandon and I clipped them off the sprue, put them in a bag and shipped them to Brandon. And I never said anything about it. And I never asked him about it because I knew that he was probably cussing me up and down that I just clipped him off the sprue and sent him without numbering them or anything like that. Just best of luck. Yeah. And so they, I think they tr- they tried to start, start solving that problem in the way you guys 
discussed by by numbering the, the the arm sets and they were able to do this because now they're designing stuff in a computer and whatever software they're using they're doing this they're able to get on super fine detail and make things they couldn't sculpt with a with a hand tool before I remember reading an article about the Dreadfleet game and how on Dreadfleet they were able to get to zoom in and get really fine detail on uh, some of the sculpts there and likewise, uh, the the model kits we were getting had a lot of little tiny pieces that we'd never seen before. Yeah, that Dreadfleet kit looked really good. It, it's actually the reason why the Imperialis stuff has looked as good as it has is what they did is they took the three-dimensional designs they did for Heresy in 40K, and all they did is scaled it down and then recut it up for a new sprue. So it still has the same level of detail that the full-size ones have because it's the same design kit. Right. And so when they came out with the Thunderhawk for Aeronautica Imperialis, the joke was we finally got a plastic Thunderhawk. But what that told me is they've got the design now. They just need to blow it up, do, add a little detail, and they're good to go. And so with that, we started to see these monopose models, where with a lot of them, you've got a standard uh, leg and torso that goes together. Then you've got, for each of those torsos, you've got probably two or three sets of arms. They can be slightly up or slightly down. You've got one that has like a bolt, a pistol and a chainsword selection, but they all kind of go together in sets. So it's a lot harder now to get those old conversions where you're, you're choosing your arm and your weapon loadout. Now the kit is telling you this is how it goes together. And this is some of the, I've had a frustration with some of these. I think the last set I put together was probably for some gene stealers and the abominations. And I thought, well, I know these guys are they're designing it so they look like a different model, but having put it together, to me, it looks like the same model. Even though one has the arms up and one has the arms down, it's like it's clearly the same model. Although that was true with the old multi-part plastic kits, but I don't know why that didn't bug me, but now it does. I think the multi-part kits, there was kind of this learning curve. You could build them and they would all look exactly the same. And it was up to the individual to do things like alter the twist of the torso, place the arm slightly differently, change hand position, you know, swap legs. And you could get a very varied force with multi-part, you know, based entirely on your own creativity. But with the monopose, like I, you know, I play Night Hot and I have 160 chain rasps. There are only, I think, six different poses for the chain rasps. And, you, you know, after you build and paint 160 of them, you notice that they all look exactly the same. Just repeating the same pose every six models. Once you get it all onto the table, your opponent's not going to know, but you building it, you're going to see it every time. I've noticed that a lot with, with just like the basic tactical, the Mark VI guys, is I think there's five poses. And, you know, the arms do go a long way to change how it feels on the table. But if you're really looking for it, you do notice like, oh, these guys have the exact same leg pose and the, the same twist at the hips. It's just the arms that are different. And, you know, you can kind of like turn the head left or right. That's about it. Yeah, but with those old kits, you could make a guy that was pointing, that was looking through binoculars, that was um, crouching, was had his head turned around listening for something. It just seems like because of the, and maybe that's a problem that we don't have that many kits in 30K as we did in 40K. Because I know if I want to have that one guy who's making this one pose, I need to go buy one of those kits or get that specific bits and put it together. 
where they just don't exist in 30K yet because it's still the new system. So maybe as time goes on, we'll get those. That's why it worried me that the Mark III kit is probably missing in action. And the replacement for it, I hope, is not so monoposed that I get bored with Mark III. What do, what do you think, Warwick? What's well, I remember uh, one of the coolest kits you could get back in the day, like back when I got the fifth edition, was the, I think it was the Devastator kit, because it came with a Space Marine that was kneeling. And that was the only way you could get a kneeling Space Marine, unless you, of course, chopped one up and put it together yourself. But just to get one that was like kneeling down and like, he had his rocket launcher over his shoulder. He was like mid reload. That was really cool. And I know even like the modern 40 K kits, um, there's like one of the, uh, the infiltrator guys who's like, he's got his bolt gun hanging on a sling without a magazine and he's drawing his pistol. That looks really cool, but it's just a monopose model. You're not, it's not something you could look at all these pieces and put together yourself. So in a way, um, I don't want to say they've limited your creativity, but you know, in, in a way, you you have to be a lot more invasive, or, or you really have to uh, kind of sculpt the model yourself if you want to get the same, even like the same basic pose differential that you had with like the the old firstborn kits, or even with the Mark three and four kits. Because, you know, you have your legs, then you have your torso, then you have your arms, then you have your head. And you can twist those any which way you want to, to make them look just a little bit different from one another. Well, and I think that is something that a lot of people have brought up with the monopose is the lack of bits on the sprues. It, it's very much they give you the bare minimum to create the squad you need. And you don't get the... Like the Mark Threes came with... I think it was close combat and uh, ranged options. You got special weapons, you got heavy weapons, you got like four or five different options for sergeant special weapons and a few little gribbly arms and pointing fingers. Um, but with a lot of the monopose kits, it's just you get 10 guys with bolt guns, you get maybe one or two arms for the sergeant and a special head, and that's kind of it. And I think that that's what we're missing for those monopose sort of kits. We're starting to get the upgrade sprues kind of like this, you know, as much as we trashed a bit on that Sons of Horus Karsoranax upgrade kit, it, it is kind of the thing that is missing from the monopose is getting those little extra bits to spruce up your armies, even if it's a, a little weird how they're releasing it. Well, with the Mark VI kit, it was kind of surprising for me that they gave us all the melee weapon options, but you only get a plasma pistol. I think you might get a bolt pistol, but you can also put a multi mil or a, uh, a combi weapon or a hand flamer on your sergeant. You don't have that option, but you have all the melee options. It's like they kind of expect you to do, like, of course you're going to take your special melee weapon, but you're probably only ever going to take a plasma pistol. So it's just, it's kind of weird. And like your, your sergeant, I think I mentioned this a while back, your sergeant comes with a bolt gun no matter what and a pistol, but there's no bit for like a slung bolter with any of the, the heresy stuff, which I think is just a pretty easy kind of no, no brainer move or kind of piece for me anyway. Yeah. That's just always been a weird thing. GW does. It's a lot like when you bought the assault on black reach box, the dreadnought came with a multi melta, but that's not the standard loadout for it. Or no, it was the standard loadout at the time, was a multi-melta, but the actual box kit for the Dreadnought didn't have a multi-melta in it. 
it had all the other weapon options. Kind of just this weird thing Games Workshop does where they give you some options but not others, and they make it weird to try to find the others. I remember to get LAS cannons for tactical squads, you had to buy the Devastator box because, you know, outside of a missile launcher or a heavy flamer, I don't think you could get anything else from any yeah, other kit. I, th- I think it was designed where when you're building that army, they wanted you to go out and buy two boxes of tactical marines a box of assault marines, a devastator box, and a captain box. Because with those with those four different kits, you could make anything you wanted at that point. You could have all the conversions and everything that you wanted to. But now that's a problem with heresy is that we don't have that option for a praetor you know, box. We do have some praetors, but they're monopose, limited weapon options. We don't have assault marines yet. We don't really have devastator marines, but you can buy the upgrade boxes, but you're looking at um buying is it do they have two different upgrade boxes now there's like the long weapons and the short weapons yeah there's special weapons two heavy weapons boxes i think there's three heavy weapons boxes yeah i think there is a third one now. and there's two special weapon boxes and it's funny because i wish that that existed for 40k but it but it doesn't but but yeah they're the way they're going about it is odd instead of having four special weapons i wanted one of those to be like the captain box, the Praetor box, or the assault marine box, then we probably wouldn't be fighting. But then I guess this goes to the question of aesthetics. When you're sitting down and putting together your 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 custom army where you're sculpting each individual guy to be different versus the guy who's done all monopose and just followed the instructions of the box, which one is going to be more aesthetically pleasing on the board? when you're actually playing the game. I think the multi-kits have the potential to look better, but it takes a lot more work and a lot more creativity on your part. That is kind of the nice thing about the monopose is straight out of the box, they look pretty decent. That's always been a problem with me is I was never the guy to really go out of my way and model. So all of my guys were just like locked in a horse stance with the bolt across the chest kind of thing. So the monopose has helped my presentation game quite a bit because I never went the extra mile with my models. Other people though have really struggled with it because they love the creativity and the monoposes kind of hamper their ability to play with the models as much. I will say that I am right in the middle of this discussion personally because the monopose kits go together so quickly it allows me to get a lot of stuff done very easily. On the other hand I miss not having all the options so I mean, like, like Maniple said, I got bored really quickly with the Mark VI kits. There's not a whole lot you can do very simply. It's just you put them together and you're done. The Mark III kit took me longer to put together, but I had more fun doing it. And I had a lot more options. Doing it. I, I'd agree with what uh, Paul was saying, that definitely it, it takes more work to get those, those goods models put together. And for every one that was really good I made, there was one that was a stinker. And I've gone back through my boxes and looked at, pulled a guy out and said, what was I thinking using that particular mo- uh, arm? And so I've even gone through and clipped off those arms and just made him a standard Marine because I didn't like what he was doing. And you think, oh yeah, I'll use this bit from this old plastic kit and see how it looks. You put it together, you paint it, play with it a couple times and you realize that looks dumb. Uh, so you have to be able to own your mistakes and uh, and fix things. Now, I had another thought I was going to bring up before I lost it, but I think the, the, the question that we're left with now is, is there a right way and a wrong way? And 
probably more importantly, are the old multi-part kits just going to be gone? Or is that, is that old hammer and now we're moving into this new, this new model completely? Well, the way I understand it, the, the Heresy team is not the same people doing like modern Warhammer Age of Sigmar. They're kind of doing their own thing. So I think that for this kind of bulk release that we got with um, uh, the Age of Darkness box, I think the Mark, si- kit, the Mark VI kit served very well. I'm not convinced that that is the only thing we're going to get from them in the future. So I'm, I'm holding out hope because I think this is the same team that did like the Titan kits and they're all you know, very poseable and they come with a lot of different parts. So I'm hopeful that we will get just an an updated version of the multi-part Mark III kit, just scaled different. Right. And I was going to say, I think whenever the Assault Marine kit comes out, that'll tell us a lot about the design philosophy going forward. And that's going to be kind of a, there'll either be a high water or a low water mark for the model line. So anxiously awaiting yeah i'm falling more on the cynical side i think it's going to be monopose i think all of it's going to be monopose that's just been gw's go-to for sigmar for 40k for heresy it it seems to be the way they're designing things i think a lot of it comes down to the fact that it's all being 3d designed now and monopose lends itself to that the multi-kits do not and also I think it, it just comes down to they're going to do, especially with like the assault Marines, those are definitely going to be monopose. And it's because they're going to want them to be cross compatible with the tech Marines and the special weapon boxes and all that stuff. So they're still going to have to match. Um, I really think the Mark three is just going to be a rescale and it'll go into monopose. I just don't know how they're going to do the arm options for that. If they're going to come out with a whole kit of Mark three arms or if they're just going to say, use the Mark VI and hope you don't notice. I mean, you could probably do that. It just doesn't seem like how GW usually runs their stuff. Yeah, because if you put the Mark III shoulder pads on there, you might not notice at all. They are yeah. they are different, so don't get me wrong. But... Yeah, but they're close. Close enough that they could that most people would probably do it anyway. Yeah, because having bought all those special weapon boxes that I didn't use all the bits of, I'm not going to go in and turn, turn and buy the exact same thing in Mark III. It makes the most and of course gw tends to not do anything that we think would make sense but it does make a lot of sense if they just updated the mark three kit to be compatible with those other upgrade kits that would make a lot of sense that being said gw does not have a track record of doing that well i think we should get one of these gw guys on our podcast we can ask him these questions because the fans want to know i certainly do Graybeards have been wondering this and pondering these mysteries for decades I'd be all about that, but I, as far as I know, they don't have, um, they tend to not talk to fans. I don't know. We need to find somebody who recently left the, the left the design oh, team. Oh, um, who was that artist um, that recently retired? I don't remember now. Anyway. All right. Well, thanks for discussing that with me. I thought that that's an interesting um, thought to have. And do I go through and invest in all the Mark Three and Mark Four I want that I can find now, or do I just embrace this new monopose future? I suppose I could do both. I was about to say, are we going to embrace change? But is it really a change if we're getting monopose models? It's kind of a it's kind of the Zinchian paradox, isn't it? All according to plan. Well, it's it's the it's the Imperium Eagle, where the eagle looking backwards is blindfolded, right? So, right. Or is it the one looking forward that's blindfolded? Anyway, the it's... one looking forward is. I don't remember now. 
You know what? We're typical Imperial citizens because we don't know what the fuck we're talking about. Anyway, folks, uh, thanks for joining us. Why don't you go ahead and look us up on the X app or website, whatever it's called. Thanks, Elon. At Legion Cast, a Horus Heresy podcast, and give us a follow and be on the lookout for updates. And shoot us an email at legioncast18 at gmail.com where we can hopefully read your email on the show and respond to it. Yes, indeed. Uh, I looked it up. The one who, the eagle head that is facing to the right, so I suppose the forward facing, is blind. They only see the past. So, uh, Longbeards, uh, stay strong, brothers. Another one in the can, guys. Good job. Thanks for having me on again. We'll see you next time. And until next time, folks, whatever Brandon says. Whatever Brandon says.